possibility. Like nothing would surprise me now because you know that they, sh there's a streamlined release of everything we see and the stack of amazing stuff behind what we're looking at right now would probably blow our heads off. But why give up the revenue if you can, you know, milk the releases over and over and over again? You don't think they've been sitting around with virtual reality for long enough? Dude, long before we saw it. Long yeah, before. Just experimenting and like testing as monkeys and then they're like, let's go. Right on, okay. man. Yeah. Well, hey, Gary. We are here with JK Amazie. Um, welcome to the podcast. This is the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. How are you doing today, JK? I am. I'm fantastic. I'm feeling really good. Thank you for having me. Do you me. like JK? Yeah. Like, I, I want to make sure I, 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 no, I'm offended, I say it correctly. Like how, like why just JK just, just didn't even care. To JK sounds today. cool. I'm cool with JK. I'm fine with it. I've always been called JK. Right on. Gary, how you doing today, man? Good. Definitely good. I, I agree with the AirPods. When I move out of this place, they're going to find about 30 Apple TV remote controls, like 43 iPods, like 12 pairs of tweezers. I never use tweezers. tweezers. Twice a year, you know, clean up this right here and they just disappear. They're one at a time. I'm like, where I get that long ass hair and, you know, my ear. And I'm like, where's the tweezers? I'm like, I know, that I joker never take grows them overnight too. It does. It's like I a look every day. Rope. Yeah, I look every day and I'm like, how is it one this long? All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm in the mirror. <laughs> like, like you, you yeah. hit your 30s and it comes out. It's something in the. Oh, like a mogwai. That shit shoots out of like, your ears. The, the <laughs> evolutionary purpose for that. Like, why? Right? Yeah. yeah. And like, uh, yeah, like you got to think about that. What is the hairy ears? What does that accomplish later in life? Like inside, no. I could see like it's stopping like debris from getting into your ear canal, like you shit like that. Like that's why yeah, you have like no a, hair a nagging like... friend. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just blocking <laughs> out the sound. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, it's like I think that's why you have nose hair, probably for like in the wilderness to like cut down on the amount of shit you breathe in. Maybe that's got to like... be a pollen filter, right? Yeah, I think so. more yeah. than a booger catcher. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Don't get white. Now that we've so started crazy. off this show amazingly yeah, yeah. and on topic um <laughs> jk is here to talk about porn reboot yes sir tell us what that is well porn reboot is the name of uh, our flagship system which helps men end their out of control behavior with pornography we also work with men and help them uh and sexually compulsive behaviors in general but our speciality for the past 11 years has been uh, addiction to high-speed internet pornography. Um, mm. we're, we're called porn reboots as opposed to porn recovery uh, because personally, I went through my own recovery journey and uh, I've never been a fan of the disease model, um, 12 Steps, um, Sex Addicts Anonymous. Um, it was very helpful, but it didn't take me all the way. Um, therapy was good, but I found that it, it, while I uncovered a lot about my trauma and, and how I became the way I was, my behavior didn't stop. Uh, I was still up till 3 a.m. doing what I was doing with pornography. So recovery. Just and, hyper aware of how you should be ashamed and it was created as a scenario. Yeah, like, pretty much. It's almost like yeah. giving you mindfulness into the most shameful <laughs> yeah. act. We've exactly. been conditioned to feel is. 
Absolutely. That's 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 what it felt like. And I didn't have the coping strategies. Most of us don't have coping strategies to deal with shame. So when it's brought up and you're like, this is how you became who you are. You're like, thank you. I'd be like, it's a shit. You give me homework. I can take <laughs> home with me and, you know, use it to feel better. It wasn't working. And, you know, recovery, recovery, traditional recovery, guys, at, at the end of the it is recovering that which you lost to whatever your compulsive behavior is, right? Alcoholism, substance abuse. But here's the interesting thing in today's world. Let's say you're 37, 38, 39, 42, and you decide I'm going to go into recovery and become sober. And they're trying to help you recover that which you lost when you were in your 20s. You do not know what it is like to be a normal 25-year-old because you weren't. You have no idea. So now you have to lean on the pastor, the, the sober coach, the sponsor, the therapist to define what that is for you. And ultimately, mm. I came to believe that uh, all men are experts at themselves. They can be guided. Uh, we can't tell men exactly what to do. And men have to define it for themselves. In order to define it, you cannot recover that which you've lost because you don't even know what the hell you've lost. You have to start from the beginning. It is perfectly healthy and normal and compassionate to hit the reset button and start all over. Defining yourself where you are. If you're 42 and this is where you are when you decided, then you got to let go of the past. You can learn from it, but hit the reset button. Just like when you got too many, I have this problem where I'll have like 50 freaking tabs open, working on three different businesses at once, trying to be the smartest man in the room while my assistants and ops people are begging me to <laughs> Like, let us do the work for you. <laughs> Leave us alone. And I have all these. The it's like only a chef way. seasoning your soup from over your shoulder. I don't know how I'd feel about that. <laughs> it's really creepy, but I get it. Yeah, I can see how it's like you are passionate about what you do uh, and you want to be involved in the creation of it. And it's not even infringing upon anybody else's capabilities. It's simply that there's an enjoyment in sharing passion for giving back. I, I see it all the time. And it's not mm -hmm. a matter of micromanaging at that point. Big difference. It's a matter of just needing to be involved in it because it's who you are now. Um, I want to point out that you said reset button. I really love that. And you also said that um, we need to guide ourselves. And I think that it's very important that we understand that two things. One, you are correct. There's a reset button. That's why there's no such thing as time. It's always now, right? And then aside from that, we have the ability to write our own script. If you're going to be born without a choice, then you should at least pick and choose who you are. Don't let your script be written for you. When you do that, you're not you. You're no longer authentic. And at that point, it's a slap in the face of whatever made you because you think that you're better than they are. Write it out. Find out who you are on your own. Don't let people dictate it. I love that. I appreciate you for pointing that out. We're on the same page. We're absolutely on the same page. Hitting the reset button just gives you especially a man who struggled with a compulsive behavior and feels that so much is out of his control to realize that he can, like, I can really rewrite the script. I'm like, yeah, man, you can write, rewrite everything, who you are, how you look, what love looks like to you, how relationships will be, and you will feel so much better. Your future is literally greater than your past. These guys show up and 
I tell them like, okay, fine. You're, you're, you're stuck on your past, right? You watched some weird porn when you were 14 years old and you developed some fetishes at like 17 and 18. I was like, as a dude, your brain, your prefrontal cortex, is not even fully developed until you're 25. So we can almost discount all the stupid decisions you Holy made up. Holy crap, to that man. Point. That's a lot of so years of punching my clown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're punching your clown. Like, I'm going to steal that one. A lot of years, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a pretty good one. I don't know why you call it a clown. It's kind of weird. It's like got a red it nose. It is so weird. <laughs> yeah. It is weird, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, it always it's, comes back. Maybe it's yeah. like that punching clown that just keeps coming back at you. I don't yeah. know. Um, Guys come up with so many rate, fucking you're, ways you're, to say that. <laughs> it's like, all the way through that, you just had that. It's like, right. and, and it's funny because before the internet, like it had to be like word of mouth shit like that, right? So someone made that up. And like, I've heard that like when I was younger, when Cleveland is like, and someone had to tell someone to tell someone like that those kind of things had to like spread. Now it's, I don't me, the whole world sees that once, but it's pretty funny. Yeah. But you are right. That is a straight up 90s reference or late yeah. 80s. It's yeah. been a long time. I pulled that out of the, uh, out of the archives. That said, um, you bring up a great point about how things spread. We're in a different day and age than when we were children with regard to access to pornography. And I think that it's very important that as an older generation, we understand that we do not have the lenses of the younger generation with the access to what they have. We can never understand the plethora of damage that's being done or their perspective going forward because we've never consumed it at such a rate at that early of an age. Now, maybe you have because of the age you are, you're a little bit younger than we are. However, there has to be an understanding for that because, I mean, for our age, we swapped a VCR tape and really you had like a moment of shame for two reasons. One, where you stopped it and two, where you found it because you realized your buddy stopped there. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, like, I, I, it, it's true. And it, and it got passed around. Like, it, it's funny that we even are on this topic because the, the first movie I ever watched, I found a movie poster for that two days ago. And it's from 1985. Yeah. And I sent it to my friend whose parents I, we jacked it from back then. And uh, it was it. Like, hey, my uncle's got some porno tapes. Like, oh, he does? And then, like, you'd steal one of the 10 and hope he didn't notice. And that would make it around school. Like, and that was it. Or, like, someone swipe a Playboy or, like, Sears catalog bra section. Like, we had to get real weird. Like, but now it's like anything in the world exists in the palm of your hand from the time you get that phone when you're 12. No matter what your parents think they're blocking, you'll find it. Like, pretty crazy. Like, you know, the amount of. I couldn't imagine it. Yeah. I It was hard enough as an adolescent to figure mm -hmm. out how to navigate being a male with a societal structure that puts so many restrictions on the ability to reproduce that it's spinning the mind so much that now you give me the outlet of all the boobs I want to see with nobody to see me doing it. I'm going to sit there. I, I'm surprised that we have males that are coming out of you know, into the sunlight after the age of 13. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're going to stop coming out into the sunlight. It's heading that way. And I tell my like, right? clients, I mean, when, when I, what when a I predatory, these... yeah, what a predatory system. 
Like, I'm not, I'm not shaming people, but at the same time, you're taking advantage of a natural urge and a societal constraint at the same time. Don't you just poke a bear in a cage? Well, if but you think I, about it, what most... Why did I say poke? Or punch a clown. Well, there's but, probably a site for that, too. Yeah. Oh, there is, actually. Is. Poke the bear. Poke the bear is definitely a site. Poke the bear. <laughs> you made a... No, like, Oh, sorry. You, you earlier said like high speed pornography or internet. You, you prefaced it by a term. Mm-hmm, yeah. how, you, you, and, uh, you know, why is that a distinction that you guys make just because of the access and how much of it, you know, that people consume? Well, the, the thing that changed and uh, I don't, how old are you guys? I'm going to be 44 soon. 46. Okay. 46. Okay. I'm 39. So I also grew up with VCRs. And- I used to look way younger than us. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's the it's the Absolutely. filter, yeah. it's the filter, and not I jerking off. Just <laughs> jerking off. I'm kidding. That much of- I'm just fucking with you guys. Just oh, could you shit. imagine? One reboot guy said he looks younger it, than us because he doesn't. It, it gives you a retention because he does yeah. human retention. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there, there's gonna be a bunch of dudes that are like, well, okay, shit. Well, I mean, if I look younger, I'll get laid more. I won't have to jerk off as much. Like, solves all the problems. We'll believe okay. anything that gives us a release around a constrained physical urge. You tell us it's okay for a day. We get what we say on when we had a primatologist on, we were talking about prom and shit like that. It's like the last days of Caligula, everybody going ape shit for one night, and then you got to go back to being shameful. Weird. Absolutely. Super weird. You know, the, the high speed thing is basically when a client comes in, I let them know that they have seen more naked human beings engaging in sexual intercourse than mm. every single one of their ancestors before them, which is mind-blowing when you think about it. You have seen more than that. And wow. I ask them, do you think that your neurology was, do you think you evolved to handle that? Do you think you can be normal after that? You cannot. You, it takes a long time to rewire your brain to any form of normalcy. The high-speed internet thing started because back in the day, if you, if you wanted to really get, like, for adults, right, they, they, our parents had to, like, get in a fucking train or a bus, go across town to the dirty part of town, go in there, <laughs> get the magazine, hide it under a fucking trench coat, or come put the back. coin in the machine and yeah. turn it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. it. I don't yeah, know. That I'm not that old. He's <laughs> 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 like, put the coin in the machine. The silent porn. <laughs> Where have you been, Jimmy? Look at the, the split, <laughs> the, the old pornos. Yeah. Oh, the flip books. Oh, the flip books. Yeah. 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 Well, like that was war. what your friend, your friend Mark drew that. Your friend yeah, oh, Mark yeah. drew that in fifth grade, and you yeah, did it really, really fast, and it was stick figures. You're like, oh, it's yeah. cute. Yeah. <laughs> they actually started that, you know, during during the Civil War, they would they would pass those around, too. They, they started with, like, just one, one image, and then there were artists who would just draw it, and they would just pass it around. And here's the crazy stuff. Historical fact for you guys. Um, um, Union soldiers and all of them would get addicted to that. Now, if men on the battlefield can get addicted to the shit that we were flipping around when we were in middle school, imagine what happens when you have high-speed internet pornography. Porn addiction didn't become a main thing till a big thing till 2006. That was the advent of YouTube. Mm. That was when YouTube sites came out. 
then the porn industry looked at YouTube and they went, well, maybe we should change our business model. What if, if we just make this more habit forming because YouTube had immediately become habit forming. So porn sites went from having a little bit of a trailer that you pay $19.99 to join to just giving out everything as tubes. And that's when the addictive behavior began for a lot of people. That's when men who had only used VCRs who were in their 30s and 40s started getting addicted. Why? Because now the algorithm is suited to you. If you don't clear your cookies, it shows you. Or creating you. Or it's creating you. Or even now, I read an article the other day of a transgender individual who stated that um, he got, he, he transitioned because of pornography. And his belief is that, you know, sexuality is on a spectrum. That's his belief. And that when you watch enough pornography, the algorithm starts moving you towards those things. It starts grooming you, so to speak. Mm. Um, there's hypnotic language in a lot of pornography now. There are a lot of tests that are being run on porn sites. Um, and uh, a lot of adolescents get very, very confused about their sexuality, about what they're into. I have a video on my YouTube channel from years ago that talked about, um, it, the title was Why You Shouldn't Suck Dick. And it was about a... <laughs> <laughs> I, my Uncle Randy told me this too, man. <laughs> it was some kind of joke behind it. It wasn't anything that you should hear. <laughs> that, that is, you, you caught me off guard a little bit with that one. <laughs> we'll go back and save that frame. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, maybe you should just use it as the trailer for this podcast and just start. Yeah, I mean, we're going to. They're like, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> so why you should suck dick? All right, they're like, I'm listening to this episode. <laughs> Perfect. But, but in this, a few years ago, uh, a client of mine said he talked to a therapist and he said, I've been watching so much pornography that nothing, nothing gets me off anymore. And I started mm. watching gay, gay porn and transgender pornography. And I would always feel shameful about it. Instead of the therapist to walk this guy through it, the therapist told him to go out there and experiment. Uh, in essence, go suck a dick and then come back and tell me how you feel. And I lost <laughs> my shit, gentlemen. There's, I lost. there's a comedian that did this. He said, I suck dick once a year to check and see if I like it. <laughs> and I don't, so I'm not gay. <laughs> it yeah, is I mean, archaic. And people are still doing it. People, there are therapists out there that will tell your kid to go suck a dick and come back. What I do, I was like, they're like, well, what's an alternative? So people in the comments were like, bro, so what's the alternative? How do you find out if you're gay or not? I was like, let me ask you a few questions. <laughs> Listen, I like the trial and error that we're doing here. I don't want this buffet. They don't really like that. I don't really like that. No. Like, if you had to sample your categories, like, okay, tongue punch the dirt star or like pull the. <laughs> Bro. He's, he's got Bro, a whole bunch of this. What? 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 You're like really up in the archives today, he, man. He's got, he's got a lot of free time. <laughs> I know. This guy prepped for this. Yeah. Because humans are insane. We, are. we have created this entire kaleidoscope of shit that we're discussing right now for repressing behaviors that are natural to our condition, who we are, what we're designed to be. And yes. we're stirring the shit out of it 
and expecting natural societal outcomes. My ass. Dude, why is it that when we do engage in self-pleasure, even as a child, right? Say we're like 16, whatever. Why the f- do we feel ashamed after that? I'm still trying to figure that out. Everybody's doing it. So we got like half the global population is again, hammer handing behind closed doors. But when they come outside, they're all looking at each other with stink eye. Like, oh, have you been doing it? Oh, you've been doing it? I think you've been doing it. All this fucking shame. And you're walking around afterwards. What is this? I don't understand. Yeah. It's auditioning, man. Yeah, it's it's all what you're, you know, in in Europe and places like that, you'll see a lot more sex on TV and a lot less violence. You know, here, if a nipple slips out, still to this day, that would be like a huge deal, like the fucking Janet Jackson thing. But you'll see a hundred million people get murdered on TV a year and no one says shit. Hmm. But you, you go to Europe and, you know, bare breasts have been on regular TV there for 30 years, probably. And like, no one gives yeah. a shit about it. In the States, we just, a lot of people will have grandparents who are very religious and their parents are identifies religious, but didn't go to church. But what they don't realize is all those little, all the repression, uh, uh, mm. repressive conditioning, they'll drop the church and Jesus and all that stuff, but they will keep the shame and they'll pass it down. And that's why it's still in our culture. That's why we feel that way. Shame um, is learned. We just, we, we won't, exactly. I like it. It's learned. It's that's learned. And we live in a society that, 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 it's so weird. Think about this. You go out, you watch, uh, you watch freaking HBO Max and you're going to get a penis in your face. Just random. It's going to shock you on K. I'm not kidding. You guys know this. And you're just like, I didn't need right. to see that. I didn't need you to see right. that. And they will always do it in a shocking way. They will not make you go like, you can't even like, well, oh, they're going to show something. They're just like, bam, in your face. He doesn't undo the belt. Instead, it's cut. To the it's just the straight junk. to that, and they know that they're doing that. Wait, think about that. You have kids who are watching that, and then at home, they're they're given a completely different message. The message at home is repression. The message at home is all these things, but what they see on TV, what they see on music videos, is so different. It is only in this country specifically that we have such conflicting messages. That confuses. Me. That, all that does is it, it just helps the shame grow. It does. Yeah. And I'm, I, Gary, you brought up a great point when you said in European cultures or other cultures that when a woman is topless, it's not considered anything that's out of the norm. And that's a great effing point. Because for some reason, we have this obsession with simply covering a body part that we know exists. Like, Everybody's got two boobs. Everybody's got a penis or a male or a vagina, whatever it is. We know what's under the clothes. It's not like a giant mystery. But for some reason, when we're not allowed to see it, then comes out the lust and the weirdness and all of these extroverted activities or introverted activities that nobody can see where you're repressing this need to see that. But had you seen it since you were a child, would you care the same way? It's weird. I think, I think it's like alcohol, too. You know, we grow up pretty young in Italy, drinking a glass of wine at 14 or whatever with dinner, and it's pretty common. And, you know, but us, it's like, don't drink at all. So we're like, we're going to fucking hammer, you know. Get, every time our parents are gone, we're going to drink all the alcohol, you know. I'm going to drink, you know, 
You get so <laughs> hammered, you know? It's like, you're not going to sip on a beer like today you're in Germany at 15. It's like, we're going to fucking drink, you know, as much as, you know, it's Repression like. Repression creates obsession, man. It seems that way. You know, the, but the crazy thing of what you said, Gary, about, um, you know, when you're a kid in Italy and, and you know, you, you sip on wine and it's not that big a deal. You know, in the therapeutic community here in the U.S., they'll, they'll tell you that part of your alcoholism began because, because your parents had a tradition of allowing you to sip alcohol at a very young age. So it rewired your brain and now you're a raging drunk. But it's closer to what you just said. It's the repression and the shame. Yeah, and then yeah. we're going to drink all the alcohol and we're going to go crazy in college. That's really what it is. Yeah. It seemed to me like people I've met, and this is just anecdotal, of course, mm -hmm. that were like hardcore parents, you know, tight leash, didn't let them out, didn't let them do shit. When they did get to college, they were wilding the fuck out. And like, just didn't know how to handle it. You know, not to say it was good. And my mom certainly did not want me doing any of that shit. And got, I got my ass kicked, you know, figuratively, <laughs> like when I got caught. But at least like when I got to college, like I knew like what it was like drunk, like we're probably not to get drunk at like certain things. But other kids were like, wow, what is this? It's fucking crazy. Like just fucking off the rails, you know? And like, <laughs> I feel like me sipping a little bit, you know, having that helped more than her, you know, therapists. I guess they have a different theories depending on who you talk True. to. But it seems to me like every now and then you're doing a little bit of drinking. It's a lot better than just all of a sudden the fucking cage doors open and you're out there doing whatever the fuck you want to do. And there's no oversight. There's never been We even have a party date on it. 21 years old. 21 years old says that you can go batshit crazy and you're expected to puke, make an ass of yourself, feel oh, horrible, yeah. and all this shit. It's celebrated and then you get to rage into it for several years. All because you couldn't have it, 14, just sitting at the table with Ma, you know, sipping a little grape wine, you know. Instead, you, like you said, come out and you're doing shots. Your body's not prepared for that. That's why addicts die when they come back off of recovery or when they relapse. It's because they think they can ride the white horse after, you know, taking a year off and they're going to grab as much as they can and do it. But in reality, they're only capable of what they were doing the first time. Absolutely. It also leads to environments. A lot of addicts who go into rehab are in an environment that just doesn't have those cues. The moment you come out, there are cues for everything, everywhere, from the way people talk to movies to advertisements to billboards, and they come out and they die. And I, I, I remember being in recovery myself. And to me, this was so obvious. Um, everybody was, I just don't know why they just came back and they just went back to the streets. Because you put them back on the streets. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. You literally just like, hey, bro, take a shave, wear a clean shirt. You're good. Just don't hang out with here's the wrong here's people. 90 okay? bucks just and get a, a job. Just, just, we'll set you up yeah. in a job interview and everything. Just don't hang out with the right people, with the wrong people. It's a broken Which system. Which is everyone you know. Well, if you live in a cardboard box... It's hard to give an address to your manager when you're on a fucking job well, it's application. It's a bit more complicated than some people think it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got a social security card? Yeah, it's in the shopping cart with my fucking eight cats and this other shit. Like, no, I don't have a social security card. The normal people in the world don't know where their social security card is. This is true. No you clue think I do? No, not a clue. This is ridiculous. We put Never so many it. hurdles 
between changes in socio socioeconomic status. It's fucking unbelievable. Just the ability to change your stars is you are made to believe you should be satisfied with one tear jump yeah. in your generation. One tear jump. I was homeless. Now I have an apartment. Life is great. I will die happy. Right? Fucking bullshit. It's some weird system where it allows us to feel satisfied with being mediocre in our life. Fuck Jay, that. That's the, that's the problem. Like, you just hit on the whole reason why we became, this whole thing became a reboot thing. Because I would see guys and their behavior and whoever was, was doing it. I, I don't want it to seem like, oh, I'm hating on therapists. It just depends on the type of therapist. In general. I see one. In general. But here's the thing. They tell them that, you know what, to never go back to pornography, to never go back to, to, to sex with escorts and all this stuff, um, you need to live this black and white gray life. You must get married because that's where the only place you can get intimacy. You must have kids, get yourself a mortgage. Oh, that is yeah, Get yourself a, a mortgage and just live a simple life. Go to your meetings every week, right? Because if you miss one day, you're done. Oh, and you know what happens if you relapse? You got to start from the beginning. Why? Because I, when they told me that, I was like, wait a minute, that means I'm done. I start again. They're like, yeah. I was like, so oh, nothing rewired in my brain for 15 years. And I have one drink or I have one slip to, to pornography or sex and it's over. And they're like, yeah, yeah. back to that white chip. That's how it works. Yeah, and they're back like, to that white you got to start from the beginning. They're baking in more shame. Absolutely. You know, like if you miss a meeting, then you feel this. And you feel more shame. And then what happens? Then that's when you fucking really turn to whatever will make you forget about having the shame, which is usually the substance. Majority of the people don't have it. They say they have four or five years. My ass. That's like saying you don't punch the clown in behind closed doors. Everybody's doing it. You don't come outside and tell them. I'll tell you this much. That's there, exactly there, what it is. There are those who actually have it. But those that I met. Oh, in, they're in early. Exactly. Their lives were black and white and they were living in denial. And they got really preachy with about like, you know, how it's so important to, I was like, dude, you know, you are not, I could tell they were not happy with their wife. All I need to do is just take one look at their wife. And I was like, this is not a happy marriage, but they believe this is what it's supposed to be. Right? Like let's yeah. schedule sex. You know, sex has to be scheduled every, every week. That's the sitcom. The sitcom made that a fucking thing where it's like you were put into a framework as a family where the wife was supposed to browbeat the husband and then they were supposed to allow him once a, once or twice a month the, you know, the pleasure of violating her, you know, or whatever it is. And she holds it over his head. They argue. Dude, it's a weird dynamic. But like you said, we all have like these places that were put in life. Like, down to the sound, mm. right? Just think about it. If we watch something with an overweight person walking, they have an instrument. It's a fucking tuba. If I go, womp, 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 they're either slow or fast. Mm. Our brains are so geared and wired strangely that we have the, the most bizarre implicit biases. Absolutely. It's the reason why when, when ending something like a behavior with pornography, you got to look at your environments, not just your, your physical environments, but what you're doing online. 
where are you hanging out? Like, who are you? Like even guys who insist, I got to be on Instagram because I do work there. I'm like, let's see who you're following. That's all I want to see. I want to see what the <laughs> algorithm, oh, I'm not following anyone else. Like you're lying because you just unfollowed all of them. And I can see from the front freaking page, the algorithm does not lie. <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> it really does lie when you think about it, it lies. But, yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. It's, it shows me what you've been looking a, at. It's a slot machine of deceit. It shows me what you've been looking at. And so um, environment is critical when it comes to, to ending this compulsive behavior. I think that's where a lot of guys need to start. I mean, I got to say that it's hard for it to be addressed because of the shame umbrella that's placed over it. That stepping forward is almost an admittance of some kind of perversion or outside of the religious societal spectrum. How does one bridge that gap if they know they have been in the throes of something that's consuming their life with, you know, pornography? How does someone bridge that first gap with recovery or trying to change their stars, so to speak? Yeah. By bridge the gap, do you mean addressing the shame or coming to terms with it? The first step. It's just, it's it's literally admitting it to yourself and stepping past the rationalization and the justification. You know, in traditional recovery, they say that, you know, often you need to hit rock bottom before you, you come to this realization. Mm, That's, that's the title of a porn. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> everything, everything is. is the title. It's the title everything of, is, of, but of pornography. You got it. They say you got to hit rock bottom. I think you, most people are intelligent enough to see other people's rock bottom and learn from it. And rock bottom is also very subjective mm. as well. Um, if you are unable to maintain an erection, we have something called point induced erectile dysfunction, PIE. Lots of guys have it these days. They just don't know that they have it. And I tell them the simple test is, are you able to have sex or masturbate without any form of fantasy? Like, can you get an erection without having to imagine something of you? When you're having sex, is it performative for you? Or are you actually engaged in it? Um, and most men are just like, yeah, I try to masturbate without pornography, but my brain is just not wired that way. I need pornography or to have any form of an enjoyable orgasm. So when you start experiencing things like this in your life, or the type of pornography you're viewing begins to escalate to the things that you're not comfortable with, when you start stepping outside and it goes from just that weird shame to, well, first of all, what you described, Jay, coming outside and looking at your neighbors, that's just guilt. That's I, I did a bad thing. Shame is when you start believing you're a bad person. And that's when your self-image, Ooh, good distinction. I like your that. self-image is, is, is impacted. So once shame comes in and you start walking around feeling dirt, you're in an, an, a meeting, beautiful woman comes in and you are immediately triggered to shame. Nothing has happened yet, but it's because you already know you're going to imagine what she looks like naked in the next few seconds. The shame hits you first. Once the shame starts hitting you first, that's a sign that you probably need to start scaling back with your behavior with pornography, right? So that would be the first step. It's accepting it by looking at the things that are just not normal in your life, the, the strong emotions, shame, guilt, using pornography to handle stress, using it to handle any unresolved issue, having a fight with your partner, you go to porn. 
in the middle of the day, every single day, when you get super stressed out, we work, work with a lot of busy executives, middle of the day, super stressed out, they're like, I just watch porn. And it doesn't start with porn. It's also just fucking around on Instagram. Mm. And the next thing you know, you're at porn, right? Those are a few signs. Wow. That's a great explanation. So I think that we should probably make the distinction uh, um, because when we have natural thoughts that we've been conditioned to feel guilt or shame about, how do we differentiate with what is just a simple, natural urge to reproduce that is a thought that is floating out there that you're allowed to see, acknowledge its existence, and not react to it? I mean, honestly, that's the foundation of meditation is to be able to look at these nefarious or non-nefarious thoughts, whatever you're grading them uh -huh. as, and not grade them and allow them to just exist, uh -huh. float by. Yeah, you tell me the dude that hasn't imagined the hot woman naked. Like, that's a weirdo. That's a psychopath who has to run around with his eyes taped open and pull women's clothes off. Because every dude imagines that because we're predisposed to needing to reproduce. Like, it's there. So how do we differentiate with an existent thought uh -huh. or something that requires time to address? Or what is, what is okay to just simply think about? That's a great question. Or observe within your own mind. So here's the thing. First of all, at One Reboot, I don't believe in telling men what they can and cannot think. I teach them the framework for that first, and then they make their decisions because everyone's, we call it your arousal templates, is different. If you brought some of the thoughts you had, the thing with fantasies is we are afraid of sharing our fantasies, not because they're bad, but because we are worried what people would think if we shared them because they would think you actually want mm. to do that. But most of us do not want to live our fantasies. If you want to experience every one of your fantasies, something's wrong with you. Oh. Every single one of them then something's wrong with you. But how do you identify? First of all, if you're a true addict, if you're truly addicted to pornography, it's going to be a couple of months before you can differentiate between normal sex drive and just a need to anesthetize a strong emotion with sex. But I train men to do this. Here's a very simple way. I'd say there's a married man and I use myself, I'm in a relationship as an example. I tell my clients once they come in, I was like, you're going to look at beautiful women. You're always going to acknowledge them. So stay away from any system that tells you you absolutely cannot acknowledge a beautiful woman. So they're like, well, what do you do? I was like, I could be with my girl in a restaurant and a beautiful waitress, beautiful body, beautiful face comes, wonderful smile. And she, she, you know, serves us. I will take a look and I will acknowledge if she's beautiful. It's perfectly normal where she, she might even be my type or your type or whatever. She's got the butt. She's got all of this. That's fine. I'll acknowledge it with my partner. She'll be like, yeah, so I, I see she's your type. But what I do not do is I do not repeat that multiple times. I do not mm. fantasize about it. Now, this is for men who are struggling with this as an out of control. I actually couldn't care less what a guy who's not struggling with it does because he's just like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't have a problem with pornography. So fantasize away. But the men who are trying to scale back, Look at it. Maybe you feel something down there in your groin area. There's a tingle. It's, that's cool. It is what it is. But don't keep looking back compulsively. And we, treat, we teach basic conditioning methodologies. You know, um, wear a rubber band, 
snap it once just to remind yourself. Mm, do that yeah. for two weeks and then you condition your brain. It's mindfulness like, as well. Exactly. Or label, labeling. You can do mindfulness labeling yep. and just go like, all yep. right, um, sexual thought. And just the fact that you associate it and you can observe it as a sexual thought in a rational, stoic way separates you from the emotion and the release of all those neurochemicals. Um, but that's, that's how you would... It's a dopamine addiction as well, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because early on when you have this problem with pornography, you are waiting for the dopamine release during orgasm. When it becomes an addictive behavior, dopamine is now released as a precursor to orgasm. So instead of being released Ooh. as an endogenous opiate, which is what it is, later on, it comes before. So if it's released before, you now know, but you don't know, you're not uh, aware, um, your body is aware, your nervous system is aware. That's why men end up spending hours on pornography. That's the reason why they keep that. Oh, no, this is not, this is not the scene. I got to find another one. And they watch another one. They're like, oh, this is not the scene. This is not the scene. I got to find the right one to bust you. Why? Because each time you need to chase the dopamine. The orgasm for an addict or someone who has a compulsive behavior with pornography is not the end goal. This is not a substance abuse addiction. This is what we call a process or behavioral addiction. A substance abuse, a substance addiction is you want the hit from heroin or meth. With pornography, you don't want the orgasm because you know the high ends after the orgasm. So you chase the dopamine in the process. So you keep it going for as long as you can. You're edging. You're not, you're not orgasming because you are chasing process. So the solution to it is behavioral in nature. But the reason why recovery doesn't work is because traditional recovery does not focus on the behavior enough. There's a lot of compulsion in it. A lot, a lot of repetitive. Indeed. A lot of, yeah. It's can't be any different than any other repetitive action that we do. It's almost like a muscle memory. I can see that you would get addicted to timings, to releases at certain areas throughout the life because you don't have a proper outlet like exercise or meditation or hobby or something like that. That becomes almost like a blanket. You can think because that whole time you're there, you're in that comfortable zone where you're only pleasuring yourself and nobody else is there. It's got to feel like some kind of bizarre self-soothing as well. Absolutely. We, um, triggers are very, very critical. I remember the first time I realized the trigger for me, which was living with housemates in college. And when the door would close, you hear the door closing, something would start. And when the car left the driveway, immediately I went into autopilot. It was going, making sure the door was locked, making sure no one was at home. I went into my rituals because I was like, now no one can walk, walk in on me. So um, observing things like that is very important. But also what you mentioned about um, healthy coping strategies and the right lifestyle, that's basically what we teach with rebooting. It's first you change your habits, which is wonderful then you have to make it part of your lifestyle. You change your lifestyle. But the problem with lifestyle is lifestyles change, right? You end up making more money, you move somewhere else, you make up, end up, you know, you get a divorce, you work more, you change careers, lifestyle changes, which is why for a lot of traditional recovery, 
if your lifestyle changes, you're going to relapse. That's usually what happens. The last thing that needs to change is your self-image. You have to develop. I was waiting for you this. You have to develop a unique self-image. A self-image, a person that you love. Like you actually begin to realize that, oh, the behavior that I was engaging in, it's not a bad thing. It started to protect me because I was young. I didn't know any better and I didn't have coping strategies. So this thing was here just to protect me. And the moments you can embrace that shadow part of yourself and start accepting it instead of repressing it and you just bring it out is the moment your self-image begins to change. And that is how you read because there's also a neurological process that goes along with Self-worth. Self-worth is so important because if you don't believe in yourself and you don't think that you're worthwhile and you're out there in pursuit of, you know, your significant other, you're never going to be able to give them anything that they want because you don't like yourself. You loathe yourself. You hate yourself. So until you want to move forward with some kind of healthy sexual relationship, you've got to figure out that you're worth a healthy sexual relationship. I mean, it just seems that that's the best way to start. I like that you brought that up because I don't think that we give ourselves enough compassion in life um, or understanding or empathy. And we've got to take off these rose-colored or whatever-colored glasses that we wear when we view people that are in these situations through them. Um, We've got to realize that that's a, that's a lens that was provided, not earned. That is not something that I've personally had to navigate. So I need to trust that the perversion meter is somebody else's. I think it's, it's got to be hard for people to come forward with this too. Like people, especially men, have a hard enough time seeking help for anything. So it's like something that your friends would definitely break your balls over or like, you know, it's got to be extra difficult to seek help. You know, and it doesn't seem as bad when on surface, you know, it's help alcohol or drugs. But then, you know, when you see how it's controlling your life and infecting it in different ways, when you see the outcomes, I think that's when people probably, you know, search for the help. But, you know, it's, it's hard for us to admit that we need help as men for one thing. And then this is something else that's probably more difficult than seeking help for anything else, you know, drugs, alcohol, marriage counseling, whatever. So why do you? Why do you see that people finally come to get the help? Is there a, a common thing with most guys yeah. or is there or something that you see like happens more often than not? Yeah, there are three reasons I figured out over the years. I boiled it down to men come to, to seek help for out of love, duty, or fear. And love would be maybe they just had a newborn and suddenly everything changed. And they just realized that, you know what? I am, for the first time ever, I am reviewing my values and my principles. I'm not a man of integrity. The new lens. That's love, right? Um, duty could be, uh, it could be their duty as a father. It could be to their job, to their career. And they realize, you know what? I have potential. I'm incredibly talented. And I keep hearing people give me all these compliments. Like, oh, you could be so much better. Like potential is like the worst insult to give somebody, to tell somebody, like you have potential. But if you're a grown ass man and somebody says you have potential, and what the fuck have you been doing? Right? So that's duty. It, yeah. You just got told you're not doing exactly. your fucking It's job. not a compliment. It's just not good. So that's, that's duty. And the last thing is fear. 
fear is when you've crossed a line, when you realize like, man, I'm watching stuff that, you know, if the FBI agent, if my webcam decided today was the day that I'm done for, they're kicking in my door or my, my sexual behavior is changing. Or I realize, dang, I can't go out and actually interact with other human beings in a normal way. It is usually under the umbrella of that. So when people come in to work with our therapists, the first thing that we look for is, are they coming in out of love, out of duty and fear? And just one thing I just want to say to, to anyone out there is you may feel afraid and you may feel that other men are going to laugh at you and judge you. But take this from the mouth of somebody who the only thing I do is I live free and shit freedom from pornography. Didn't think I was going to do this when I grew up. I'll tell you that much. It's not what I thought I'd be doing. Like, well, what no. you do for well, I mean, that's the I'm ultimate. A, that's the whole I'm grail. a porn reboot coach. You know? That's what I do. You would have got your ass whipped <laughs> growing over on me and my friends. You're going to do what? You're going to yeah, take yeah. away porn? Hold on a minute. You know, I've been passed around this same gross magazine for a year, and now we got a chance to see it at high speeds and your grades? No, that's not going down in the 13 to 16-year-old no, department. No. You know, it's probably a good, a good time but, to make a distinction, Jay, is, is, is I'm actually not anti-pornography. I've just, it's been, we've been drawing paintings on the wall. I don't, I don't care about it. I care for the men who feel that they are alone in this and it's holding them back. I just want to say that talk to your mm. friends. I guarantee we have it every week. Somebody shows up to one of our sessions. It's like, I just, I, I made, took a big step and I talked to my buddy about it. He looked me straight in the eye and he was like, bro, I have a problem. And I think, I don't know if I call, call it an addiction, but perhaps a little bit of dependence on, on pornography. There's more than, more than a fifth. Strength and vulnerability. The more people that say oh. it, the more people that get help. But I, it is kind of funny that it's all kind of owned by one giant company that um, could honestly, I think that if they ever decided to just drop everybody's name and what they look at into the fucking world, everything would collapse. That or if dogs could talk because they would tell everything that was happening in your bedroom because no one kicks out the dog. Do you think? Do you think would that it would all collapse? So, if like everybody, if everybody's kind of weird in some way or watches some weird shit, if everybody kind of does, then it wouldn't be that big of a That's deal. What I was about to say, there yeah. you go. It's one of two things. Yeah, one of two things. Yeah. Either it removes the stigma, or it becomes Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I think we're past the whole becoming handmaid, Handmaid's Tale, at least in this society. I think we're we're at the point where things that I live in Florida. Uh, well, yeah, maybe in Florida. I don't know the Handmaid's Tale reference. What's that? The, that I don't know the reference with the Handmaid's Tale. That was a dystopia. It was a Hulu show. They, yeah, I remember uh, hearing about the show, were, but I didn't. Yeah, it was. It was pretty yeah, bad. It was. Um, it was traumatic. Very archaic yeah, yeah. times. Watch, you'd be like, "Dang!" Like, yeah, yeah. Holy yeah. shit! Why don't you take a moment to tell everybody where they can find you? So that um, we can help people get the help they deserve. Not the help they need, the help they deserve. Because, I mean, we all deserve to have a healthy, happy life. And no matter what the obsession or addiction or whatever thing it is that we're engaging in, is simply a way to 
satiate some kind of pain in a child. And we've got to figure out that that child is worth loving, not self-loathing, and give an opportunity for natural, real relationships to take place where people aren't utilizing social conditioning to give them their metric of what a happy relationship should look like or what their perfect mate should look like. Um, That's the least important thing. Like the absolute least important thing is what they look like. And the moment that we can, as a society, come to that realization that the value is not in the looks, in the heart, the moment that we can make that distinction is the moment that Mind Geek doesn't have a platform to even fucking put shit out for. Uh, Jay, I love that. At the end of the day, ending an out-of-control behavior with pornography is really about returning to true intimacy. And when you can return to intimacy, you can rebuild whatever you want your sexual behavior to look like based on that. That is the right foundation. The best places to find more about us, uh, I'm, I really have nothing to pitch. Our programs are full. If you want somebody wanted to work with us, we do have a wait list. But I, I, yeah, I was about to say, I don't, I don't see a shortage in this. Yeah, there's, there's, we're, we're full. But I, I am very prolific with content. And we have men who have learned to control their behavior by just listening to my podcast, called Porn Review Podcast. And also search for my name, JK Amazie. Just Google me, search for me on YouTube. We've got about 800 videos on YouTube. All of them are educational. All of them have practical tips and strategies. And our website is elevatedrecovery.org. Love that. Gary, you want to wrap up with anything? You got any questions before we uh, head out? No, I think I uh, covered just about everything. I think... Uh, in my opinion, a lot of people probably don't even know this is a thing that exists. So like more people that talk about that is actually a problem. They, you know, people will hear this, never heard of a porn addiction before, probably realize that they have it or maybe they do or someone they do it does. So it's one of those things where the more it's out there, the more people will get help. Strength and vulnerability. Absolutely. I really appreciate y'all giving me platform at, at least just to raise awareness of this issue. Well, we thank you as well. We appreciate you being someone that uh, is a lighthouse. I say it all the time. You're you're leading by example. Um, you're not forcing people to find you. You're letting people find you naturally. And that's honestly the only way that we change. Um, otherwise, elections would swing in about two seconds. <laughs> we had one group yelling louder than the other. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. You, lo- you yell louder yeah. than me. I'm going to listen to you now. <laughs> so... Um, Everybody, be sure to look up JK. Uh, Amazing service, amazing thing that you're doing for everybody. Um, And remember, everyone, be cool and keep learning.